Blog Talk Radio. Tanya Hathaway. I'm your host with Tanya Talks, where your voice is heard and your story is told on Marty Oakley's TS Radio Network and Stephen Burke's 89.9 KLRB FM Lighthouse Christian Radio. I want to say hi to my mom in New Hampshire. A warning to all listeners uh, tonight. This show is not for faint of heart, but it is about life and death, okay? It is about life and death. This is literally, this is not hyperbole. This is not, you know, oh, this is a huge shock statement. This is literally about life and death. And so, Mom, you know, you might want to take a break, you know, if you if you want to, because it's just, it's just, I know you can handle anything. God knows you can handle anything. You've been through plenty, um, but uh, this is this is a heck of a show tonight. The Constitution of the United States established America's national government and fundamental laws and guaranteed certain basic rights for its citizens under America's first governing document. The Articles of Confederation, the national government was weak, and states operated like independent independent countries. I'm going to stop right there, okay? So so that's a quote from www.history.com. I'm going to stop right there. The states were acting like different countries. I beg our listeners to ask themselves, are our states acting like Independent countries, again, they are. Now, there is a reason for our Constitution, and it's a darn good one. I thank God, as most of us hopefully do, that we do have a Constitution of the United States of America. But I beg the question, why aren't we reinforcing? Why aren't we reinforcing? our Constitution of the United States of America when the states are overstepping when and where they are? And why isn't the federal government? Why isn't the federal government doing something about this? Well, because the federal government has overstepped our Constitution by allowing states, by allowing by making it permissible, and even by endorsing in certain cases, it depends on what that party wants at the time that is in office, by endorsing the abuses of the states and their violations of our constitutions of the United States, of our America. We don't have time left people to allow this to continue any further. Tonight, we are talking about violations, believed to be violations, potentially, okay? I'll go easy on that. Still under research, 
plenty of work to do, but plenty of work being done quick, 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 quick. And I have advocate, ethics expert. That's not, by the way, just an adjective. She is an ethics expert. Melissa Hurry on with us tonight. She has been very much involved. She's a regular contributor on this show, as many of you know, but she's been very much involved uh, with uh, wrongful convictions, with uh, oversight committees uh, for these wrongful convictions. Uh, for uh, and She's been an advocate for uh, basically anything and everything that has to do with preserving the rights of not just somebody who's on death row, but preserving the rights of, of you, me, and anybody whose rights seem to be or are being taken away from them, and especially when it lands them on death row and taking their lives from them, an innocent man tonight will be discussed, and his name is Julius Jones. But not only Julius, the uproar right now is because of an action that the current Attorney General, most recently appointed as Attorney General because the hideous prior one, Mike Hunter, oh, resigned, okay? We won't get into that tonight. We won't, don't have the opportunity time-wise because it's much, much more important to discuss the current right now. But we have a, 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 an appointed who has not been voted in as uh, you know, Melissa and I were were just discussing, and and then she you know pointed out, of course, you know, hasn't had been there long enough to be voted in. He's been appointed, but one of the first things of this man O'Connor's appointment, an egregious act of inhumanity. And now the question is whether it is constitutional or not. Well, that's yet to be determined. That is yet to be determined. But Melissa and and I are going to have quite a conversation. She's going to be doing most of the talking. Um, but let's talk. But what we were going what we're going to be talking about quite a bit is constitutional law and the Eighth Amendment. And the court has consistently ruled that capital punishment in itself is not cruel and unusual punishment. Okay, but 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 but. Some of the applications of the death penalty, cruel and unusual, are yet to be determined. And there's case law out there that still has to be researched. And uh, I know that uh, Melissa is is on it like crazy because this is a matter of life or death. The time clock is running. And others are also, of course, concerned. Um, There's a lot of outreach back and forth between um, competent, concerned parties uh, to make sure that Julius Jones is not put to death based on uh, a, a recent um, a, a recent statement and a recent trick, if you ask me. And I'm going to ask Melissa to come on right now with us and uh, introduce herself and uh, and then talk about what that recent, in my opinion, is called is a trick. Exactly what that was and what that means. Melissa Hurry, thank you for coming on tonight. I know that you have had sleepless nights and that you are just 
you know, working very hard towards uh, hopefully finding the solution. Hi, Tanya. I just want to make sure. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you fine. Good, okay. All right. Um, yeah, um, this is, I mean, for lack of a better word, this is disturbing what they're trying to do. And so we spoke about this earlier. So on August 11th, there was a decision from the federal district court that um, they issued a ruling that there was um, there's a question about prisoners' Eighth Amendment rights and the protocol that they're using for lethal injection. We know that this has been a now. I, mean, I am going to say, Melissa, if there's any way you can get closer to your mic there, or any way, because it is just a little bit hard to hear. We can hear you, but it's it's you know pinching the ear a bit, and and I don't want to miss one word that you have to say. And I'm sure our listeners right, don't that, either. And I want to thank our listeners, by the way, for tuning in. I don't know if I did that because I, I rushed right into this, but I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Okay, gives you a okay. chance. Okay, to... if this isn't any better, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's gonna take me a second, but I'll take take you off my headphones. I have wireless headphones on, so maybe that's why you can't hear okay. me that well. Okay. But is that is it I... any better? If not, I'll take them off. You're you're a little bit you're a little bit better. Let's see how this goes, okay. and others can message me that I know are listening if if they feel that they can hear okay or or if they can't okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. If not, just let me know right away because I it's sure just easier will. for me to maneuver. I'm surrounded by paperwork and computers. I feel like I work for the CIA today. So I, I have so much stuff. To <laughs> <laughs> and you need your hands. I know you need your hands. I hear you. And I, really, I didn't even introduce. I didn't even introduce myself because I'm, I'm like jumping right into everything. But I'm, I'm going to ask you to do that. <laughs> I'm going to ask my you name to is, that. My name is Melissa Hurry. I, I am from the state of Connecticut. I, I have worked for the Office of State Ethics for almost six years now. Um, I'm also uh, finishing up my master's degree in criminal justice. I'm doing my thesis this semester, and ironically, that thesis is on um, – the death penalty and the many reasons why it should be considered cruel and unusual. And here we are, right? So yeah. um, that's me. And I've been in the legal field for about 23 years now, though. I used to work for a criminal law firm before I went to the state. But So I've seen a lot. And I take a good interest in constitutional law, though, you know, I'm not, obviously I'm not an attorney. My opinions are based on my interpretation of these documents that I'm looking at and the several articles that have surfaced over the past week or so. So I just want to put that out there. Okay. But, so so are, your opinions, are your opinions isolated? Let me, let me ask you that. You're, I know you're saying you're not an attorney, but are your opinions, uh, I, I mean, I believe and know them not to be um, that your opinions are your own opinions and none of others. I know your opinions to be those of many attorneys and, um, and constitutional attorneys as well. So, I mean, I found that throughout our conversations and throughout my own research. So, I, I mean, I appreciate the fact that the full disclosure, you're not an attorney, but, it's, but also you probably have a lot more um, constitutional law knowledge than other attorneys who don't practice constitutional law because there's many who don't, sadly. Well, I, because I take such an interest in the death penalty, I am no stranger to the Eighth Amendment. So right. as we know, okay. you know, there's a lot of case law. Uh, that addresses the Eighth Amendment cruel and unusual punishment as it pertains to the, to 
the death penalty. That's one of the main arguments right. that goes back and forth. But so um, there was a, a an action filed, and it was challenging the protocol that the state of Oklahoma uses for their lethal injection. That action is blocked at al versus Chandler et al. So the court issued a decision on that action, and it was issued on August 11th. Now, this is a federal district court. So the court and the, and the district judge, um, Stephen Fryett, if that's how you say his name, I'm not sure, but he issued his decision, and, and basically what he said is that this warrants a trial. The issue on whether or not the protocol that Oklahoma uses for lethal injection warrants a trial regarding whether or not that protocol violates the Eighth Amendment rights of these death row prisoners. And so the trial isn't expected to occur until sometime in September of 2022. Now, when he issued this decision, here's the thing. There's um, seven inmates who did not select an alternative method of execution that, according to this judge's decision, are not covered by this decision because they didn't pick an alternative method of execution. So that's, that's what he's saying in, in his decision. Now, hold on to that thought. What the Attorney General of Oklahoma has done has, is he has filed a notice regarding execution dates, and he's requesting that the Oklahoma Criminal Court of Appeals schedule execution dates for those seven death row inmates who did not pick their alternative method of execution. He filed that. And Julius Jones' date, to interrupt Julius you, Jones. I'm sorry, but Julius Jones mm-hmm. is the very first one, correct? Yes, Julius Jones is one of those seven inmates that they are saying is not covered by this, this federal judge, district court decision. But so the date to be what, put to death is the first is is the is the most more recent date than any is the well, is the soonest date than anybody's. Am I correct there? There's one. There's one other inmate, John Grant, who I believe they at, they requested his uh, execution date of October seventh. For Julius, they okay, requested for October twenty. For Julius, they requested okay. October twenty eighth, and then okay, they, thank you for that. Oh, no problem. There's a succession of dates that I think they go all the way into February of next year. Now, but, now I know that this is not the pure only reason, you know, why we're, why we're discussing this tonight. It's, it's, also, it's about cruel and unusual punishment to, be, to begin with and the interpretation of that. And, and if, if this, what has taken place, it is that itself. But, but, um, but is, is Julius the only one that you're aware of? that claims is innocent, that's on this seven that are that's, scheduled yeah, to be executed um, for anybody else. I don't, I don't want to say for sure because I've never looked into all of those cases, but we okay. know for a fact okay. that Julius has a very strong innocence claim. We're not, we, everybody sees it. When I say everybody, right. I mean seven, almost seven million people have signed this petition saying, you know, this doesn't look right. We don't think this is right. We don't think he did this. Right. And, and so, let's name drop. Let's name drop while we're at it, okay? 
um, and, and there's time, I mean, I don't, I'm not a big name dropper person, but I think it's important to name drop in this instance because people are putting their good names, right? whether people think they're good names or not, or they're celebrities, blah, blah, blah. And then there are many times I think celebrities overstep, don't get me wrong, or professional athletes overstep bringing politics um, into the, into their game or, or misusing um, uh, for politics. But but I don't believe that's the case in, in, in this, this name drop and these name drops um, because it's really about um, this is about the difference between an innocent man being put to death or, or, or not. So why don't you name drop some of the people that have gotten involved and are advocating for his case? Well, um, or I, guess we can start with, I guess we could start with Kim Kardashian because um, mm-hmm. many people know, and for those who don't, she stepped up and she absolutely um, stepped up for Julius and, you know, declared how she feels that he's, he's innocent. And we have Jason Flom, who's done a podcast on Julius's innocence, actually, with Kim Kardashian. For our listeners, who is Jason Flom? Jason Flom does, the, uh, does a wrongful conviction podcast, which is very well known among those who take an interest in wrongful convictions, but... Mm-hmm. He's also the um, the owner of uh, Lava Records, which is out of New York. So he's a music industry um, big guy, for yeah. lack of a better word. So um, we also have um, a number of athletes, uh, Blake Griffin, Jack, uh, Baker Mayfield, uh, Russell Westbrook, um, Jack Prescott, that just has stepped up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, not just Thank stepped you. up, but they have stepped up. Um, I mean, there's a number of people. We could go on and on. And, and thank you for that, because I just I just want our listeners to know, you know, to, to know that, and you decide for yourselves. You know, take a look in this case, um, this case, and also if anybody's listening that knows any of the other um, of, the, of the other six that and the, if either of them are claiming their innocence, I'd like to bring them up too. So it would be important to learn about their. Matter so feel free to reach out to me at injusticeinoklahoma at gmail dot com because I'd like to to learn about that case and and also put his name in here as as well after I do a little bit of research or at least you know just just please feel free because this is not one person's lives matters all lives matter and and Melissa is, is huge on that so but but she knows Julius Julius is. Uh, case inside and out how often are you able to connect with um with julius if you don't mind telling our our listeners well i um originally connected with julius when i was taking a class last fall semester that was exclusively on the death penalty so for that class i had to do a case analysis on one particular case and i was already involved in advocacy in julius's case so of course I chose his case and actually spoke with him directly to do that analysis. So we've kept in touch since then. Okay. And um, I, I mean, here and there, I do. I get to speak with him. Right. So. Right. You, yeah. And you only allowed so much time. You know, I understand that. You know that there are. Yeah, well, they've had yeah. things where they've taken, you know, phone privileges away. That's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah, but, um, hard. Okay. So, so let's get on but, with this show. I just wanted to yeah. name drop a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. Thank you. So I don't 
Do you want me to continue with where the where we stand? Yeah. So when they okay, so when they issued that decision, now we have the attorney general's office asking for execution dates for all these seven inmates. There is objections that have been filed. Julius Julius's legal team has filed an objection, but as far as I know, the Oklahoma Federal Public Defender's Office has filed objections on behalf of the other inmates, there was a question of one of them where if there was an objection filed or not, I, I don't know. But when I checked the, the docket for the Oklahoma Criminal Court of Appeals, I didn't see all the individual objections or if it was just one collective motion. I do, however, have the objection for Julius in particular that was filed by his legal team. They're all on, they're all on the website. So the other thing... They're all on... That, oh, uh, oh. OSCN, is that what you're referring to? They're on the Oklahoma Criminal uh, Court of Criminal Appeals website, the OCCA website. Um, right. They can be printed up in PDF format, downloaded, printed up. I printed them up. There is a, um, like I said, there's the notice that was filed by the Attorney General on August 25th, and then I have the objection that was filed by Julius's legal team that was um, file stamped August 27th. So, and, and that can be found from OSCN.net. Yeah, you can go, you go, I went directly yeah. to the criminal, it's, this is the Criminal Court of Appeals. So I went directly right. to the Criminal Court of Appeals website. And when you do a case search, um, I, I have the case right. number. So if anybody. Right. And I'm just asking for our, for our, for our listeners, I'm, you know, because I, yeah, absolutely. Really, I, I know that, I, I, you know, I can jump on that at any time. You can't do that in every state. In Oklahoma, you can. So I'm just letting our listeners know that. Yeah. yeah. So I if just you, if you, to you go to the that. Oklahoma Criminal Court of Appeals website and you do a case search, the case number is uh, D-2002-534. So you put that case number in, and it's going to pull up the docket in that case. And you'll see if you if you go all the way to the end, you'll see the more. And you want to repeat document. that one more time? Case, case number. D's and data-2002-534 is the case number. Okay. And you can pull up. Right. You're, you're, you're able to see. Right. Absolutely. I'm going to check back tomorrow to see if they have um, docketed the other um, objections for the other inmates that were apparently filed by the Oklahoma Public Defender's Office. I don't see them on there yet. They just might not have made the docket. This all just happened like the end of the week. So, Yeah, this is all, this is breaking, yeah. breaking, heartbreaking. See, now, the other thing is that's going on in Julius Jones's case, which is what, as we spoke before, unprecedented, is that this case is scheduled for a stage two commutation hearing on September 13 in front of the Oklahoma Pardon and Parole Board. And even though that board he, he passed him through stage one, which means they feel that his, his case warrants a stage two hearing, which is where they really examine the case, the attorney general still saw fit to ask for an execution date. And this is where the problem lies, because if you have your board of pardon and parole that feels his case warrants that stage two commutation hearing where they hear from him or, or they hear from his delegates and they, and they hear from both sides and they, you know, they hear the, the, detail, the case in detail, then 
with the attorney general stepping in and asking for an execution date without that hearing having taken place is a complete violation of his due process rights. And that's my opinion. That, I mean, yeah. that's uh, not just my opinion. I, I, I just don't know how opinion. it can, can't not be. How can, how can it not be? How can they want to execute this man and, and actually set a date for execution it, when it should be just everything should be on stay while he's in, going through this process and, and, and that it's believed that, you know, it is worth, you know, going through this process. You know, if you stage two, yeah. how long does it take from stage two to actually be commuted? You know, oh, sorry, sorry, we've, 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 we've got a date to execute you anyway. Sorry, Julius. It's, it's, what, what are they thinking? I don't know what they're thinking, and it makes, uh, it makes absolutely no sense. I mean, if the way that, that I'm looking at it is why wouldn't you let the board hear this case? They took the time to look at this case, to go through a stage one, to, say, to pass him on to stage two. You need to let them hear his case. You need to let that hearing occur. What they didn't do, though, and, and from, I'm looking at the documents that I, that I just printed up. And mind you, I just printed up all these documents earlier today, so I'm surrounded by all of this. But You've when been the so court, busy, I know that. <laughs> I haven't slept much this weekend, but coffee is my friend. So when the court, <laughs> um, when the when the court issued the federal district court when they issued that decision that the issue of the protocol had to be heard because it's an Eighth Amendment issue on whether or not it's cruel and unusual punishment, they issued that decision on August 11th. Now, when the Attorney General filed the request for the execution dates, the period for these seven parties, these seven death row parties, for them to either appeal that judgment or, you know, ask for any, any kind of a modification of the judgment, hasn't run out yet. They have until September 8th, according so to the What is wrong with that picture? So there again, there lies a denial of due process. So go ahead exactly. and repeat that again um, so our listeners hear that. According to the federal rules of civil procedure, the judgment that was issued in the federal district court on August 11th, that, that Mr. Jones and the others who apparently weren't covered by this judgment because they didn't select an alternative method of execution, they still have remedy to ask that the judgment be vacated or dismissed or, or alternatively to seek a stay pending an appeal. They still have that remedy according to the federal rules of civil procedure. So by the Attorney General filing his request to schedule execution dates on August 25th, and these parties have until September 8th to challenge that judgment, I don't understand. How are you not waiting until their right to challenge this judgment has come and gone? You're filing a request for execution dates before that period has run. That's a violation of due process rights. That's a violation. And and I know we, we spoke about this earlier um earlier too. Um you you know, so the so all the all the uh those on death row, okay, were given paperwork to fill out to choose an alternative method as as Melissa has said, 
of execution. And those who did not fill that out, they have been basically their 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 dates of death are are moving forward on steroids on steroids. Jeez, who are we trying to? You know that was that was just like unbelievable. And 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 the fact that Julius going through the commutation process, okay, going through the commutation process, and you know prayerfully getting through it, um, just was just another method to try to hide the who really done it. Uh, who are we trying to cover up for? And we're going to get into that in a little bit as well. But a, another question should beg some thought would be, and and we talked about this earlier. Um, and we don't exactly know the answer to this, but this is a curious thought is, I wonder, when that paperwork was put in these men, I believe they are all men, uh, did it say in clear black and white, if you do not choose an alternative method of death, then we will essentially be sending you to death on steroids, you know, then basically, you know, we are, we are going to, you know, put you to death sooner than everybody else who, who has not asked, who did not respond, forgive me, um, giving their alternative method of death, whether it be, you know, again, you know, as we were talking about earlier, you said shooting squad or, you know, whatever it is. Um, so it would be this concoction, this cocktail, that uh, we know has, has possibly failed, but but did was it black and white? Was it perfectly clear to those that didn't to to anybody who signed it, anybody who filled it out, and anybody who did not fill it out? What does it mean if you don't fill it out? Now they could have used all well per this and per that on you know uh, the reason this and that and the other thing, but is it in? The layman's terms, is it in the terms that they themselves are able to know because we know that um, people behind bars have a very hard time um, if, they're, if they're, you know, trying to advocate for themselves, understand exactly what that meant. Do you, I mean, do you think that these seven would have filled that out, the paperwork out, if they, if, if they knew exactly what it meant to them right now? based on, you know, what's happening, Melissa? Yeah, I don't, there's a ton, this decision, um, this federal court, well, the order is like, yeah. um, it's 40-something pages. There's a ton of case law in here. And I just printed yeah. this up today. So what I really want to find, find out is, is what the case law says in, pre, in previous Eighth Amendment cases. So I don't want to go into too much detail on those right. cases that are included in, in this order because I really want the opportunity to, to look at this. And it, it, it's, you know, it's constitutional law. It's, it's, it's very intricate. Yeah. But what we can say, and aside from that, is that um, they, do have, they do have a remedy that, and like I said, that the date for them to respond to this is not run out. You, you need to give them that opportunity. And... Right. There have been objections that were filed. So this is going to be something that's going to have to be decided by the Criminal Court of Appeals. Yeah. yeah. And, with the, yeah. And, and with the federal district judge ruling that there should be a hearing on whether or not the Eighth Amendment rights are violated, I mean, a simple question that I have is, you know, just because these seven 
people did not pick an alternative method of execution doesn't mean that their protocol isn't still cruel and unusual because they're including a drug that's been used in botched execution still in their protocol. Yeah. Let's talk about that botched execution. Again, this is not for the faint of heart. Just very briefly, why don't you let our listeners know the last time uh, that they that they um, uh, that they used this cocktail and just how awful it was. And and that, by the way, um, is why Richard Glossop is not yet put to death. Another innocent man uh, who is not put to death, but he was he was barely spared because he was uh. up next. Why don't you let our listeners know just how horrible that is in as easygoing words as you can. Well, they they stopped all executions in Oklahoma in 2015 because of the botched execution. So um, they had, I believe it was in 2014, when they executed Clayton Lockett. And Mm -hmm. um, they they had used a... a combination of execution drugs that were never used before. So it's not very pleasant. Like they, I guess they use a, a drug that sedates you, and then after the sedation is when the, the other drugs are supposed to be implemented. Well, I guess the drug that they used to sedate Clayton Lockett didn't work as it was supposed to because he awoke from his unconscious state and began having convulsions on, on the table. And this lasted and, until he finally died about four hours later, was it, Melissa? Um, well, they say he died of a heart attack um, maybe three-quarters of an hour after the execution. Oh, forgive began. me. I'm, I was thinking 40, 45 no, minutes, okay. four hours. Okay. That's why, I, I, that's why I'm very open to clarifications. Cause, uh, yeah, thank you. About 45 minutes later. 45 minutes later when something like this is supposed to happen within a, a minute or two, I believe. Yeah. And then the, um, I think the next one that went wrong was 2000, was the one in 2015 and that was uh, Charles Warner. And the, mm-hmm. in the um, I hate the way they refer to it, a three drug cocktail that they right. used that on him. He actually, stated that it felt like they were putting acid in, into his body because they used, instead of uh, potassium acetate, they used potassium acetate instead of potassium chloride, which was not the protocol. And Terrible. So, and so, yeah, and so there was, there was suffering there. And then as we, as you said, you know, said before, uh, Richard Lassett came just within minutes of being executed before the governor, who was governor then, Mary Fallon, issued a stay of execution. Now, After for those that are yeah, playing another devil's mix advocate. Up with the drugs. And then for those that are saying, okay, well, for those that really are guilty, okay, um, how bad did the others suffer? Okay, there's, there is no, um, there's, there's no, nobody is not having compassion at all for, for those circumstances. Um, that, that is nothing to do with not having compassion for those that suffered, that died, were killed, uh, for the families that are suffering. Uh, that is completely um, uh, something different. Uh, we understand we understand that, and hearts break 
we're, you know, we're for the right things happening. We're for, you know, um, fair, you know, punishments. We're for um, justice. I'm for justice. Um, I'm, I, you know, I'm not somebody who doesn't think that people don't deserve, you know, to pay to pay their price, whatever that price is, that is fair and 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 just. Okay, without even getting into the whole death penalty uh, discussion, other than what I will say is. If there is anybody that is innocent that is put to death, okay, so I'm not going to argue the death penalty, you know, discussion other than one huge argument that I have. But as long as our system is flawed, if you do believe in the death penalty, you cannot believe as long as our system is flawed and, and putting to death innocent men and women, you cannot agree. I don't know how anybody could agree that anybody should ever be put to death as punishment if you do believe in the death penalty. That has to be taken off the table. It has to be taken off and, the table. And that's the Go thing. Ahead. It is flawed. And there have been people, there have been innocent people. Not everybody on death row is innocent, whether or not you agree no. with the death penalty. Not every, I agree that not everybody on death row is innocent. I, I, I mean, I don't agree with the death penalty. That's my For opinion. Sure. But right, right, right. when you have... Most so, are. You know, most since, are guilty. Most are guilty that are on death row. You, you know, most are well, guilty. But, it, but, but there's far too many that aren't. And is it well, according to the national... Too, go ahead. Any percent is too, is too many because according to the National right. Registry of Exonerations, who the National Registry of Exonerations for people who don't know, it's like my Bible, so I, I cite it like, it, it's, you know, everybody knows about it, but they record exonerations of people who have been wrongfully convicted. So an exoneration only happens though when somebody can prove actual innocence, which is a hard uh, mountain to climb, we know. But, right. So since 1989, um, they have over 2,800 exonerations of people who were wrongfully convicted and were able to prove their innocence. Out of those people, 132 of them were on death row. Mm-hmm. So if you break that down, that, that's, just a, a little, that's over 4%. That's too, I mean, right. that's, that's not room for error. That's 132 innocent people who could have been put to death. Right. And, and, and who we don't has know. been put to death? Who has been put to death? Who isn't included in that? That's what, that's what I, that's what I and, want to know. And, exactly. You know, and, and I'm actually meeting with my thesis advisor with that very question to see if there's anything that I can do short of driving myself crazy that I can actually come up with something for my thesis because – Part of being cruel and unusual is executing innocent people. That's cruel and unusual. <laughs> right. You just kind of like you, you, you think and, and, you know, again, the show is not for the faint of heart. But this can happen to you. This can happen to somebody that you love. This can happen to I your mean, neighbor, you, whether you love them or not. Hopefully you're going to think that that's the wrong thing to do. This can happen to somebody that you absolutely loathe and you might have wished dead at one point. But guess what? If they're innocent, then, then they shouldn't be pushed. Then they should not be put to, put to death, anyways. Um, no, and, and the thing you know, is I, that these cases follow a pattern. These these cases of people who have been exonerated from death row, and I think you and I know what those patterns are. Oh, and so oh yeah, and that was that was up next. But if you want to get into that, go, let's go. So. Um, Majority of these cases, and, and when I say majority, I mean over two-thirds include 
perjured or informant testimony, misconduct, and some of them include both, and I believe that's over 60%. That include both, both of those components. Now let's talk about perjured informant testimony. So a lot of times in these cases, they will use um, testimony of informants. Sometimes they're career informants. So they're jailhouse informants. There are people who will step forward and say, yeah, I saw him, you know, or in rare instances her, but I know they committed this crime. I saw, you know, whatever testimony that they can come up with that they can point the finger at the person that they're trying to convict. And what happens, and this goes hand in hand, is that misconduct often is committed when there's informant testimony involved in a case. So let's take a scenario. You have an informant that is getting some kind of incentivization to give testimony, the prosecutor doesn't disclose this deal or whatever they, they've been incentivized with. Or, the, the or they disclose limited details so the jury is not fully aware. Absolutely. And so if the jury is not aware that, okay, this person is testifying, they're in jail, they're supposed to be doing just, you know, hypothetically uh, 30 years, but we're going to tell them, you know, we're going to give them a deal where they're only going to do 15 instead. We know, why I'm, we know why I'm using those numbers. But, and so if the jury is not aware of that, then, you know, what are they going to think? But if the jury was aware of that, and, they, and then they can say to themselves, well, you know, this person kind of has a reason to step forward and, and testify against the person that they're trying to convict. I mean, if they were going to cut my sentence in half, you know, maybe that would sway me into saying, yeah, okay, I'll say whatever you want. But are you kidding are, me? That's are... all? Melissa, I'm going to stop you right there. <laughs> you can keep going in a moment. But I'm working on a case right now with this man. His name is George Scapes, and he's in Ohio. And when you mentioned just a little while ago about not giving these people a, a chance to prove their, their innocence, I want to know where the guilt has been proven. That's what I want to know. In the case of George Skates in Ohio, there is not one ounce of DNA. There is not one person who is a witness. As a matter of fact, when you put all the players' faces up on a wall, which I have started doing, um, and, and, you start, and, you, and you start putting your little stick, sticky notes underneath that, and you find out, okay, who was where, when, what's leading to who, what's leading to who, what's leading to who, and when, what happened to the original suspect of three years ago, and suddenly they're not suspects anymore, even though that you have more little sticky notes right under those faces than anybody else's, and there's not one under George Gates' face. There's nothing that leads to him being on death row, and he is on death row. There's nothing that leads to this man that being guilty, and yet he is on death row, and it is it all because of snitch, terror, snitch testimony and somebody who is running free, who has admitted to many armed armed uh, armed robberies, who has admitted to many gruesome, heinous crimes, who is running free right now. So this works for the prosecution for some ungodly known reason, and that's what happens in Oklahoma, and that's what happens in other states as well. I don't want those people that are on death row to have to prove their innocence because, gosh darn it, if the prosecutors cannot prove their guilt beyond the shadow of the doubt, get them the hell off of death row. I agree with you. There should be no, there, there should be no questions, and I, I mean, I'm not, again, I don't, 
I'm not somebody who supports the death penalty. I don't think it has a place in our criminal justice system. It is not a deterrent. It, it's wasteful, costs way too much money, and it's not any kind of finality for the victims or their families like they would, you know, like the prosecutors and the DAs who seek it would like you to think. Because a lot of the people who are sentenced to death never are executed. So there's no finality. It drags out for years and, and not years, decades. So yeah, they wind up dying in prison my... to begin with. And a lot of times there are the families are asking for them not to be executed. And as well, there are a lot of families that are saying, no, he's not guilty. We do not believe he's guilty. And and, and, there's, and, and, and yet the prosecution still goes forward with it. It's, it's nuts. And, and I'm going to that try to sense. stop in, interrupting as much as I am because no, uh, okay. I just needed to make that clear point. Well, in my opinion, it, it's just it's vengeance at that point because if you have a, a family of the victim who doesn't agree with somebody being executed, then how are you seeking justice for the victim and their family when this is something that they don't want? Because we've had this happen before. But, yeah. I mean, when you're seeking to put somebody to death and there's any kind of question at all, then I don't understand how you can put someone to death when there's even just a question of innocence. It's a, it's a life that you're, that you're taking. Now, we talk about, you know, the, the biggest argument against the death penalty is that it's a deterrent. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's put this into perspective because there have been over 1,500 executions in the, in the modern death penalty era, we say modern is from 76 on, when they, when they reinstated the death penalty after they had issued a three-year moratorium when they stopped all executions. They reinstated it again in 76. So since that time, um, there, like I said, there have been over 1,500 executions. Do you know that 1,282 of those executions occurred in southern states, in the southern region of the country? Do you know that the homicide rate in those states is higher than anywhere else in the country? So what does that tell you? It tells you that they're not thinking about the death penalty when they commit a murder. If the murder rates are highest in that region of the country, and that's where they're performing most executions, then it's not working as a deterrent, is it? Uh, it's, it's terrifying. Exactly. That's a, that. Check the data. All people need to do is check the data. Just like the science, go find the science, look for the science, check the data. Statistics will tell you everything. And let me tell you where to find all that. It, it's the Death Penalty Information Center. They have a very valuable website. They record all kinds of data about um, the death penalty. So if you combine that with the National Registry of Exonerations, you can really like, take a look at, at what what really happens and how it really happens. But I feel like if you support the death penalty, you should at least consider that innocent people are on death row. Um, innocent yeah. people have been executed. There, have been, there are cases where we know that innocent people have been executed, and there are cases where innocent people were almost executed. They, they've had 10 exonerations from Oklahoma's death row. That's 10 people who could have been executed. And, and like I said, it's very hard to be exonerated because the, mm -hmm. the deck is so stacked against you once you are convicted at trial because the AEDPA puts certain bars on people proving their innocence once they're convicted at state trial. Terrible. 
and and we know that whatever goes into appeals is only what was brought forward into the um in in, in the district court uh the court Absolutely. that they were found in guilty in yep. and and yep. in, in the state court thank you and and the and the huge problem there is often that, that is flawed due process is not allowed and it is very very difficult um, to find, you know, somebody to find a higher court, even to turn over or to retry a case where exculpatory evidence has not been uh, presented. Uh, this is this is a huge issue, and it's essentially the same thing as perjury, if you ask me, because if you're not allowing the defense uh, to bring forward or you're not sharing exculpatory evidence, which is something that would be in the benefit of uh, of the defense, um, then then that's that is that's that's malfeasance. That's 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 corrupt. That's actually corruption. That is it corruption. Is corruption. Use the word. It is corruption. That is corruption. And yeah. and and there are ca- there are cases where. <laughs> I mean, I talk to you about cases out of Oklahoma all the time. Well, this is where our issue lies right now because they're trying to rush these these seven people to execution. But um, as far as withholding exculpatory information and and perjured testimony, let me – we were talking about name dropping before. Let me drop a couple of names here because there are two cases in Oklahoma, and there there are two cases. And one case was of a gentleman by the name of Nancy Douglas. The other case was a gentleman of Paris Powell. They were both involved in, in, the, in the same crime. They were convicted. They were convicted to death, both of them. It came out, I want to say, 19 years after they were convicted that there was withholding of exculpatory information. And that information included um, informant testimony. And the informant that the information came from was someone by the name of Kermit Lottie. We know that name, right? Oh, yeah. Kermit Lottie is one of the informants who was used at state trial to convict Julius Jones. Mm-hmm. He ran a chop shop in Oklahoma, and this is known that he ran a chop shop in Oklahoma. And at the time that Nancy Douglas and Paris Powell were convicted, there were handwritten notes in there from, I believe, an investigator from the prosecutor's office that were never disclosed to the defense. They didn't find this until, I want to say, 2012. And the DA that tried the case was uh, someone by the name of Robert Bradley Miller. They actually, the Oklahoma Bar Association actually recommended disbarment of this DA. But the Oklahoma Supreme That's Court... That's hard to find. Fit. That's hard mm-hmm. to find because the Oklahoma Bar Association uh, is, is a part of the leg, uh, is an arm, forgive me, of the Supreme Court. And it, um, in Oklahoma, and that in itself is unconstitutional. Um, for the, for that's a huge conflict of interest uh, that is in the Oklahoma Constitution, and how that has not been challenged is absolutely beyond me. And the Oklahoma Bar Association has supported uh, has supported malfeasance in many many cases, and and ignored. Uh, ignored uh, what they're supposedly really there for. So I'm glad to hear that they actually recommended uh, disbarment. Thank you. They did, but the but the but the Supreme Court did not do that. They suspended him for 180 oh. days instead. And from what I gather from the bar discipline decision, is that there there was no other cases where someone had done something like this where they had been disbarred. 
which is ridiculous to me because you're going to just allow it to continue because there's no other cases where they've actually had this kind of discipline, but it doesn't mean that it shouldn't occur. If you, you, right. you almost had two gentlemen executed that were innocent. They were exonerated, so we can call them innocent. They're actually innocent. And you're yes. using the same informant, and the courts actually referred to Mr. Lottie as a jailhouse career informant. It was actually, that's what he was referred to. So you're using the same person in another case, in Julius Jones's case, where all these questions are there as to whether or not he committed this crime, and everything points to no, he didn't, and you're going to push for this man to be executed when you have that same informant used in his case? Oh, now, regardless okay, of so whatever that... Accept, uh, and that was withheld from the jury? In the Yancey in Douglas his, and Paris Paolo case, his, the, there were handwritten notes that concerned right. an interview with Kermit Lottie and that was not disclosed to the defense. So th- that was in those two cases. But what I'm saying is if you have that question and you know what I mean, in, in whatever regard that it came into play, it did involve Kermit Lottie, but now he's, in, he's also involved in Julius Jones's case when he was referred to as a, as a jailhouse informant in those two cases. Now you're using the same witness again. Right, and but did the jury know? About that? But did the jury know that he was, he he was a jailhouse no, because it didn't, it didn't come into light until, like, 2012. Julius's trial um, was in 2002. And so they, right, they couldn't have known. So, yeah, right. So, exactly. So, this is for our listeners' sake. Okay, so, so yeah. <laughs> so, it, it, so, exactly. This is, this so is why. Knew. So, this is why a new trial is hugely warranted, even though that's all been exhausted, but... Commute the guy. Commute. Commute that, the guy and that's for exactly many reasons, my point. not just that reason. Not just that reason, because but for men, go ahead. You go on. That's all, I mean, that's all, that's all public information. Where, you know, you can find these documents on, online, which is why I found them. And, I mean, maybe not everybody knows it. Maybe some people do. But to me, looking at that, what I know, and, and seeing that he was involved in these two cases, and that couldn't have been known at the time of Julius Jones's trial, because like I said, this, this bar discipline hearing didn't even happen until I, it was either 2012 or 2013. I have those documents, but those are documents I have in front of me today. But I've looked at them so many times, I do know the details. So nobody would have known that he was foreman, was involved in these two cases, and now he's involved in another case. Nobody would have known that at the time, because that, like I said, it didn't come to light until many years later, and, in, and I believe Yancey Douglas and Paris Powell's case was maybe 93, and it was 2012 when this withholding of this exculpatory information came to light. So, so, so what no. did, they, did they convicted uh, uh, Julius on? Where, where is, the, is there any DNA? Is there any evidence? Is there any, was it ever pointed to anybody else? I mean, is it beyond the shadow of a doubt? That he, no, this man. They didn't test anything for DNA at the time. There was a, a bandana um, that was tested years later. I, be, I, I believe um, in, two, in 2015, maybe they, they mm-hmm. tested the bandana. It was, but it was definitely 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I saw that that was years, years later, right? It's like, well, it's nice of you all to get back to, back to this case, you know, after you had this man in prison how many years? Well, there were other, you know, there were other profiles on the on the bandana that were degraded by this point. So to me, that leaves right. more questions than answers. But why right. didn't you test this at the time? You know, if you had this piece of evidence at the, at the time that the, that the crime was committed, then why wouldn't you have tested it at that time? There, so there's no DNA evidence other than that bandana, which included degraded profiles. And we can go into the testing on how Julius's DNA was found on there, and, and it wasn't a strong DNA sample. And if they're claiming that the shooter wore this bandana over their, their face and the, and the shooter was, you know, yelled certain things at the time of the shooting, there should have been a stronger sample, like a saliva sample on this bandana, and they, there wasn't. Right, a and it could have, it could, this could yeah. have scrubbed. Yeah. It could have scrubbed other people's yeah. DNA from it over, over time. It could have been done on purpose, or it could have just gone away. Maybe somehow, you, you know, so where is the beyond a shadow of the doubt? And so I'm aware of that. So, and that's why, you yeah. know, these are the disclosures that people need to know about, you know, and that's, that is like the, the one thing. That is the one thing. And and could that DNA have been put on there? And I mean, you know, there was a there was an eyewitness, the victim's sister, who saw the shooter, and Julius didn't fit the description. Uh, according to the eyewitness, the shooter was wearing a, a stocking cap, and there was a, an inch to a half of an inch of hair that was coming coming from beneath the stocking cap. There was a picture of, of Julius that was just nine days before the, the shooting that shows like what is he had like a very short close you know haircut that almost like a buzz yeah yes exactly exactly but this was never presented to the jury there was really no defense presented to the jury on julius's behalf and that's that's another thing that's concerning because i mean to for the court to to say that there was ineffective counsel is another hard thing to prove I mean, they'll refer, you know, so you have an attorney that didn't call a witness on his client's behalf, didn't present that picture, and then the court will say it wasn't an effective counsel, it was trial strategy. I mean, that's not strategy. You're not representing your client. They were inexperienced. They were probably overwhelmed. They didn't represent their client. There was actually an affidavit from um, the public defendant, uh, David McKenzie, who actually said in the affidavit, look, I didn't represent him as well as he should have been represented in a death penalty case. But yet, the court won't declare that that was an effective counsel. But we have to realize that this is what happens in a lot of these cases. They're, they're not represented. And if, if you don't look at these cases and you don't look at the details, you wouldn't know that. Right. If, right. if you well, go well, only by the court's ruling, you wouldn't know that. You know, have faith in, 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 the, in, in the system. And, you know, uh, it, we should be able to. But the fact is, having faith that the system is working the way it's supposed to is actually ignorance, sadly. And, ignorance. And, all I've, and, and that's all that I strive to do is just to have people realize that the system is not always right. There's a lot of times where the system is wrong. And just because you think the system is right, you have to look further. If you think that somebody should, should be executed then maybe you should take a look and you should see how many times people were almost executed and they shouldn't have been, they were innocent, or even just how many wrongful convictions there have been. There's no way to measure how many people 
are in prison who have been wrongfully convicted. The only way we can measure wrongful convictions is by exonerations. And it's very hard to prove exonerations, it's, it, it, right. especially in a state like Oklahoma, especially. Oh, and my so, goodness. And I just, we need criminal justice reform. There, we've talked about it before. There was legislation proposed by um, a representative in Oklahoma this past legislative session, Representative Kevin McDougall, who felt that there should be a conviction review unit in Oklahoma that reviews every death penalty case. If you practice the death penalty in your state, you should be required to have one of those units that reviews every case. And that's how you and I first met, was over conviction integrity unit. Absolutely. And I, wanted to, and I want to say to people, you know, I know that legislation and there were a couple of other proposed bills from the same representative that didn't make it through session. But what I want to tell people, and especially the people of Oklahoma, you have to keep supporting these legislators who are pro- proposing this legislation if it's something that you believe in. Bills don't just yeah. get passed in one session. They very rarely do. You have to show support. And you have to... And these bills will come up again, perhaps, if, if support and, is shown. And you have to follow through. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You have to follow through. If something is is being turned into law, you have to also follow through because originally what that is that is being proposed doesn't always wind up being what you once believed it to be. And, yeah, and, no, yeah, they change. Cannot, Bills change. Not, yeah, yeah. We and, we can't hate on all the representatives. You know, we we can't because there no, are representatives no. that are working for us and are doing the right thing. And 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 um, the ones that aren't, you know, you, you got to really, you, really, it's important to investigate not what they say, but actually what they do. Go on the website. Go see what they have been a part of, and then and then not only what they've been a part of. Look at the actual bill them it, 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 itself. But while we're on, the, you know, the ones that are doing the right thing, um, I, I also want to, and I, I also want to discuss um, the pardon and parole board because I'm finding that the pardon and parole board in Oklahoma has finally, you know, it's really come around uh, to a level-headed, fair, thorough um, reviewers that are, yeah. you know, that, that really do care about um, whether somebody is, uh, um, it, it, one, deserving a second chance, um, two, um, you know, genuinely ready for, ready for parole, you know, um, the three, you know, ready for, uh, you know, a candidate for a commutation. Um, it, as far as an exoneration goes, that has to go through the governor. We, we know that. Um but but the party and parole board now that it's minus McCall um, is is really is really shaping up quite nicely. Uh, and McCall was uh, a judge who had no business being on that board whatsoever for however many buku years he was on it, and uh, and he, he's been known to have been um, um, not exactly the most honest. Uh, honest and forthright judge, and not to mention he was serving on the pardon and parole board while he was retired and actually getting a pension as a judge, and that in itself is against the rules, I believe, that you cannot be getting a pension. So he should have said, okay, I'll be on the pardon and parole board. If you really want to be on the pardon and parole board all that bad, 
and you got to stop taking that pension, old buddy boy. You know, but he's also was known to say uh, that anybody who was convicted of a violent crime, he will never vote yes for. And that in itself perverts the purpose of the pardon and parole board and says nobody can be rehabbed. Um, that nobody uh, can change. And that's another issue is, you know, we do need to support rehabilitation for those that are in there. But most people that are in prison aren't in prison for violent crimes. Um, And, you know, and that's a whole other discussion. Uh, But pardon and parole board has really shown to be coming around. What do you think? I agree with you. Um, Their last meeting that they had, I think it was like a two-day meeting. I'm losing track of days. The days are going by so fast. But the last time they met and, you know, they, they did, um, they dealt with, like, paroles and, and pardons and commutations and everybody that they dealt with. And it was very encouraging to me because they were actually granting those second chances to people. So, right. And, and that's what the pardon and parole board should be about. It should be looking at these cases on an individual basis. It shouldn't be just saying no to everybody, and they're not doing that right. anymore. So I think, I, in my opinion, that that's a fair board, and they're actually looking into these cases, like I said, on an individual basis. Are they pushing everybody through? No, of course not, because there's some people right. that maybe are not ready Should for be. parole, or they, they will yeah. never be, or they, they're not, you know what I mean? So, But they are pushing people through that they feel are ready and do deserve a second chance. And so, and that's not even pushing. That's not even pushing. You know, that's just that is reviewing and making a decision. And a lot of these decisions also that are being made are, you know, they provide contingencies. You know that there are, you know, psychological evaluations that are drug oh, tests. You know, yeah, here. Or, and, you and know, these are all very mental health treatment. Uh, yeah, substance abuse treatment. They, there's different things that they were that they were ordering. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I just got an email that came through. I lost my train of thought. But, yeah, they, they, like you said, you know, there there were contingencies to some of of these people that they were, you know, granting parole to. So they're not just saying, like, let's just let everybody out on the street with with nothing. You know, they're recommending services that these people are going to need. And we do know that, go ahead. And, you know, and, and it was based upon the fact that they were going to get these services. So, yeah. And we've got like Daryl Wiggins, who's now on a step down. Uh, he's, been in, he's, been in, he's been in prison for more than 30, 30 years, for yes. more than, you know, more than three decades. And, you know, this, the, the, point, the point that he was overcharged to begin with is not the point that was brought up. Yeah, nor should it be when you're in from the pardon and parole board because that's not the court, okay? That is not the court, mm-hmm. all right? The pardon and parole board is there to determine whether you are ready to reintegrate back into society. And and so, you know, going in front of the pardon and parole board, you know, Daryl Wiggins was not there to say, but I was overcharged, wow, 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 okay? He wasn't there. He wasn't doing that. Daryl Wiggins was there you know, as a man who, you know, certainly went into prison as an angry young man and who needed a few years to gather himself and, and grow up in prison and become a great mentor yep. to others. And, and the last thing he was was a troublemaker. And, and as a matter of fact, he was a trouble diffuser. And on um, his seventh time in front of the pardon and parole board, 
he he went straight through. He went straight through with unanimously, yeah. and 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 so now he's on a step down. And so that is like a, a poster man, and he, he's coming out soon. He's like the the poster boy, but he's a poster man for the reason why people need to be to, to be released. Now we haven't seen him on the outside yet. He is he is ready to you know he's in a two facility state a step down so he's going from you know high security to lesser and to lesser and he'll be out mm-hmm. in uh, originally we thought it was going to be right away um but about six months he's going to be you know out there but it's a but it's, it's a wonderful one and that's to, to him that's a blink in an eye blink of an eye that is a blink of an eye compared to how long he has been there so you know it's just Thank you to the fair process of the partner and parole board, and it all happens for a reason. And, and you know, but, yeah, I mean, we're used to hearing it's an automatic no, 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 where the jacket isn't even opened, and the jacket means their case, you, you know, to even see whether somebody would be a candidate to begin with. And why does that happen? That happens because the prosecutors, whether it's the prosecutor that was there at the time that the um, – that um, that the, uh, the the offender was actually uh, sentenced, you know, found guilty and sentenced. That whether it's that prosecutor or the current prosecutor, their their job is to automatically come in front of the pardon and parole board and oppose and actually oppose um, pr- oppose parole. And then you don't even know all the details of the case. They just come in opposing it, and they might have a couple things highlighted in the file if they're, they're, if they're not familiar with it, and, but that's their job. And that's why it's really important to understand how the pardon and parole process works because there can be all kinds of letters of support going in to the pardon and parole mm-hmm. board on behalf of that, uh, that inmate. But the actual letter that goes in in the very first stage should be opposing the opposition of the prosecutors. That's the first letter that should go in, is opposing the opposition of the prosecutors and why. The second letters that go in should be in support of that person. So um, I just I, I keep repeating that because I think it's really important for people to know and understand how that actual process yeah. works. And another what thing about, that, you know, you go. I was going to say, please. Another thing that um, people should know is that it seems to me that when you go in front of the Board of Pardon and Parole, they want to know that you have a plan upon, upon your reentry. So that's important. Oh, oh yeah. So I just want to. job waiting for you, somewhere to live, who you're you supporting. You have a place to go. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's yeah. certain. There are certain um, there's certain best practice criteria that is involved with um, keeping recidivism numbers down. So recidivism meaning that people who get out and then go back, you know, they reoffend. So to keep somebody out and from reoffending, there, there's certain services that they're going to need to have in place. And you know that that like you said, that's employment, that's a stable place to live. That might involve um, having, having yeah, absolutely, counseling, um, and medical insurance in place. You know what I mean? If you're on medications while you're in prison, you need to have, you know, continue with that. So there are certain things that should be in place upon, you know, you reentering into society. So it's very helpful 
that you can show the board that you have a plan in place upon your reentry. I mean, certain things, obviously, they're saying criteria needs to be met for these individuals to, to be released or to parole or whatever, but by these individuals showing them that they have plans in place, I think that's very helpful to their cause. So I just wanted to say that because people should know that. I'm sure a lot of people know that before they, you know, they go in front of this board, but just but, to reiterate that fact that it's very important. Yeah, you can't, you can't say it enough. And um, so that's our little lesson on, on pardoning for all. <laughs> oh. So that's, that's the intermission. So back to, back to Julius Jones. Let's talk about some of the notorious, as is in the promo, okay, some of the no- notorious players. Um, that actually had to do with his case, and 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 also we want to talk a little bit more about the um, what what this is all about again, you know, before we close. So we still have we still have time. We have you know another forty minutes, you know, forty five minutes, uh, a little bit more than that before we close off. But um, but in talking specifically, you know, let's talk specifically more about Julius's case. And then uh, we can talk specifically more again, touch on some more of, you know, just what this attorney general um, uh, pulled and, 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 and what, what this could mean. And you want to know something what's very concerning to me is that other states could follow suit. We know how that happened. Yes, right? we know absolutely. How that happened. I, yeah, um, that's a good but, point. Yeah, that's, that, that's been heavy, heavy on my mind, as if it isn't bad enough as it is. Um, but, but let's talk about uh, David Prater. Let, let's talk about Bob Macy. Let's talk about, you, you know, Julius Jones and, 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 and this is the, the, more about his, his case, just what it is that is so dirty, rotten, down to the core, and nothing to do with the pardon parole board once again because they're they're wanting to know they they want to know and as as you had said in our meeting earlier uh, before the show as we were talking that they have a meeting uh, to discuss this correct yes yeah um, there's a meeting on there's a meeting of the um, pardon and parole board on Tuesday which starts at one thirty and if you go on to the pardon and parole board website there's it's a zoom so there's the information for the zoom meeting so they're going to discuss as far as i know these um seven individuals who were not covered by that federal district court decision they're going to discuss what's going to happen with those people so again um, are all seven of them in front of the pardon and parole board for various things at this time no 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 I, no I, I don't i don't know that i don't know that but they're okay. going to discuss we, we do know that you well because these individuals would be eligible for uh, clemency if they're scheduled execution date so then it becomes an right. issue in front of the pardon and parole board so i'm assuming that's why they're going to discuss those individuals um, Julius, we know, already has a commutation date scheduled for September 13th, which was, was scheduled um, way in advance of the Attorney General seeking an execution date. And because that's an unprecedented move for him to have a commutation hearing, because there's never been a death row inmate, at least in the state of Oklahoma, or I don't know if in any state, that has been granted a commutation hearing. 
And now, if, if you remember correctly, Mike Hunter said, while he was still AG of Oklahoma, that as a death row inmate, you, definitely, you have the right to file for a commutation. And so that was Julius's right to file for a commutation, which he had, and for the parole board to hear it, I should say. That's so one, now, one reason that he did, that Mike Hunter said, that, you know, that I, I, I can fully appreciate that he did because he's done so much wrong. But, okay. So if he's, if, so that's if he says, yeah, because it is, because there's never been a death row inmate who's gone in front of this board on a commutation. Now he's, he's got a stage two hearing where the board actually gets to hear from um, delegates, they call them, people that will speak on behalf of him. They get to hear both sides. They will hear both sides and, and be able to make their decision. So if the former A.G. Hunter says that it's his, his right to be able to go before the board and have a hearing, and that hearing is scheduled, then how are you going to just eliminate that whole hearing and ask for an execution date. What is the hurry? What are you trying to hide? Why are you trying to do this now? And you're doing it before all remedies have been exhausted by these seven people who are left out of this judgment. That's the thing. So uh, let me ask even you, for the is others, the hearing actually eliminated, Melissa? Is that commutation hearing, is the implication no. of, uh, okay. But essentially no. they're eliminating the fact that that is, existing well the AG is overlooking the fact or not caring about yeah. the fact that this hearing is scheduled but it's it's still scheduled it hasn't been canceled the criminal court of appeals hasn't issued execution dates for any of these individuals including Julius Jones these these mo- these motions this notice for execution dates was just just filed on August 25th so the, they haven't made a decision on it yet. There's an objection, as far as I know, for each one. I know there's one for Julius Jones. It's a yeah. lot right now. And I saw, I the saw other, there's two of them on, the, on his behalf, so they're acting very quickly. There's two of them. Yeah. They're acting very well, quickly, aren't they? Yeah, there's, there's an objection from his legal team that was, like, a file stamped on August 27th. There's exhibits attached. That, you know, it's, it's extensive. And so, yeah. And and part of that objection is stating that he, there, he's that there is still remedies available to him in the district court proceeding that have not been exhausted. He hasn't had the opportunity to exercise any of that relief. He has until September eighth. So, <laughs> how are you requesting execution dates on August twenty fifth? Right. Right, and I mean, there, there's more to the objection. That, Wait, that's on, the not objection. on October 25th, you said his execution date no. is October 28th is when they're when they're requesting right. the execution date, and on August 25th is when they filed the request with the Criminal Court of Appeals to request an ex- that execution date. Okay. Okay. So yeah, so there isn't enough time for this to go through the process. And that there's and 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 if the criminal court of appeal and if it is denied, you still got another step farther to go. Well, I don't understand how the criminal court of appeals can even entertain that request until the time period has run for these seven um, people that were not included in this decision to exhaust all of their remedies in that case. 
right. that time period right. has not run. It doesn't expire until September 8th, and now you have an objection filed by Julius's, Julius Jones's legal team, and there have also been objections filed on behalf of at least some of the other inmates. There was a question of whether or not there was an objection filed on behalf of one of them, but there have been objections filed for those individuals who they are also seeking execution dates for. So you have these you I have objections to, God to those. That, 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 but, that this attorney general is so harshly admonished by the court. I'm not confident that they will be. <laughs> should, they, they, I mean, quite frankly, it should it, it should just be like, no, you can't you, you can't be doing this. What are you What are you thinking? Get out of there. You you, yeah, you, you know sure. what I mean? Uh, you know, I am not sure um, what he was thinking. They should just when, reject you know, the filing. I, in my opinion, and like I said, my in my opinion, I don't think they can issue any execution dates until this Eighth Amendment issue is is, is dealt with. And the district judge thought that the issue warrants a trial, and it's going to have a trial. So how can you execute anybody if you have a trial pending on whether or not their protocol is cruel and unusual? Because they're still using one of these drugs that is questionable that has caused their protocol to be cruel and unusual. They're still using the same drug. So how, are you, how is this protocol with, with these, this new three-drug cocktail but still using one of the same drugs that has caused the botched executions in the past? Correct. Correct. That's a constitutional, that, you know that's a constitutional law issue. That's an Eighth Amendment issue. And one of the, and the Eighth Amendment has always been an issue as far as the death penalty concerned. That, that's cruel and unusual punishment. That's where that clause lies in the Eighth Amendment. While the, court, the, the Supreme Court may have found that the death penalty in and of itself is not cruel and unusual, there are, there are parts to the, to the Eighth Amendment and, there, and there's past case law where you have to, you know, you can't just execute somebody any way because then it becomes cruel and unusual if you're using methods that create excessive torture. I mean, that's what it is, torture. If you give somebody the wrong drugs and, and they're in convulsions on, on the table for an hour, that's torture. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he is known to be the second deadliest prosecutor ever known in our, yep. in our country, I believe, in our, in our country. Yeah. He's now deceased, but he's also known as Cowboy Bob Macy, Cowboy Bob Macy, second most deadliest prosecutor, and he was involved in 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 this case. Um, now, why don't you uh, let our, our listeners know how Bob Macy was involved in this case, how he how he touched this case, um, and then we'll move on to, to Prater a little bit, but. Um, Bob Macy clearly wasn't, uh, he did not get that name for, for no reason. Um, no, that was, an actual, that was an actual Harvard study that declared him as the second deadliest prosecutor in American history. Mm-hmm. But he had 54 um, people that were sent to death row under Bob Macy's. Now, he wasn't the DA who tried Julius's case, but he was the head of that office. Right. At the time. 
Oh right, it so, all has to go through the D. It had. It all has to go through the DA. Yeah, absolutely. And so, out of his um, 54 cases of people that were sent to death row, almost half of them were overturned. And I believe it was 18 cases where misconduct was found, but it was alleged in 51 of those 54 cases. It was actually found in 18 of them. So we have other cases where Bob Macy has been involved. Now, we can talk about the kind of misconduct that was going on while Bob Macy was in office. We could talk about Joyce Gilchrist and what happened oh, with Joyce her cases. Well, they're, they're like the, yeah, they're the duo. It was a duo. And she is... Um, she was, she's also deceased. They're notorious. They are notorious. She's an investigator. Why don't we talk well, about that? Um, she was uh, a, a scientist in, in their in their crime lab, right? So she was. Um, it was found that a lot of her cases were not. Um, there was there was faulty forensic testing that happened in a number of her cases. So this is startling. This number you may know it, but. Um, I believe there were 23 cases where Joyce Gilchrist was involved where people were sentenced to death. Now, 11 of those cases were never reviewed before these people were executed. So there were 11 cases where she was involved in where people were executed without those cases ever being reviewed. That's scary. That's very scary. So when we want to talk about we don't know how, you know, innocent people were executed, Right. Look at what happened. <laughs> Look at how, what happened how there. How could they not have been reviewed? How could they have not been reviewed before you put somebody to death? And and see, this is it. It's so often they people are they don't have other people there to fight for them. They don't have They're other people to fight for them. They might have a public defender, but it doesn't mean the public defender is capable of fighting for them, is is well-versed enough to fight for them. And I've heard you say many, many times when it comes to death penalty cases, you have to have a very well-versed uh, public defender uh, there to, to fight for you because this is, a, 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 again, these are very specialized cases and, and that need Absolutely. to be, you know, every, every peel of that onion needs to be pulled back. Every layer. Every there is layer. so much litigation. There is so many, so much litigation in capital cases. I mean, the, the litigation alone, you know what I mean? Even at the state level, there are so many things that can go wrong in a capital case that someone's life relies upon. I mean, down to the, like the mitigation, mitigation when, you know, before sentencing, like there's been instances where the, defense, whether it be a public defender or, or not, that they haven't even hired mitigation specialists to right. have for their input in these cases before someone is sentenced to death. And mitigation specialists will look at, you know, factors in this person's background where the death penalty may not be something that should be warranted. But if the jury doesn't know these factors because there's nobody to present them, then they're never known. And someone can be sentenced to death when there are a number of factors that say, you know, even if there were, even if there weren't questions of innocence, there could have still been a number of factors that wouldn't warrant a death penalty. You know, like mental health issues, for instance. Right, right, and well, and that, and that, right there, that's a the, yeah, cruel and unusual punishment, and that has yeah. been, and um, that is part of that cruel and unusual. Uh, 
forgive me, unusual punishment when it comes to um, when it, when it comes to the Eighth Amendment. Mm-hmm. But it's a huge mm-hmm. hurdle to try to get the court to say there was a Sixth Amendment violation and ineffective counsel, because again, they will say that you know it was trial strategy. Attorneys are are left you know to strategize mm-hmm. their cases. But, you know, I mean, in Julius Jones's case, there wasn't a witness called on his behalf. He had alibi witnesses that weren't called. The picture wasn't presented to the to the jury of of what Julius looked like at the time of the crime or what his co-defendant looked like at the time of the crime, his co-defendant Christopher Jordan, who fit the eyewitness de- description, by the way. So, and, and Christopher Jordan um, did 15 years in prison and then was released. And there's a question there, too, that... Um, why did he only serve 15 years in prison? He was supposed to have a 30-year sentence. He, you know what I mean? He was, he was convicted to a 30-year sentence, but he only served 15 years, and they're trying to say, well, the calculations uh, you know, of the sentencing guidelines and, and the DOC calculations you know, is why he only served 15 years. But yet, there were other people who claim that Christopher Jordan told them, and these were people who were also in prison, that he, was, he had a, a deal and that he was only going to do 15 years. And this was well before 2014 when he walked out of prison. There were two individuals that came forward and said this, and then there was a third not too long ago that came forward and said this. How would they know this? Mm-hmm. How would they know this back then? Mm-hmm. So those are more questions. But you have career criminals and career informants and Kermit Lottie and Liddell King who were used to convict Julius Jones, but when other inmates step forward and say, hey, Christopher Jordan told me that it was him, that he worked out the secret deal. Now, those individuals are not credible because they're inmates. Well, you have two career criminals and career informants that you used to convict him, though. So how, how contradictory is that? Right. It, that's, that is, it, it's criminal. It is 100% criminal. And when I say there were two, there were people that came forward, there they were inmates that came forward. One of them was Emmanuel Littlejohn, the other one was Christopher Berry who came forward and said that Christopher Jordan, one of them said this in uh, the end, August, September of 1999, claimed that Christopher Jordan told him this then and that he was going to get a special deal and that the other one came so it was like in the beginning of the two, uh, beginning of 2000 when he was told by Christopher Jordan that he had a deal worked out with the prosecutors. And so fast forward to 2014, and Christopher Jordan surely did walk out of prison 15 years later. Not 30. Jeez. How do you explain that? How do you explain that? Yeah, it's, it's, I can't explain it, and these are where the questions lie. And this is where you can... How can you execute someone when there's questions like this that just common sense should tell you, well, that doesn't sound right? Correct. Correct. So, so before Obama goes ahead and, and they, they decide to fast forward execution when somebody's in the middle of being commuted, they have some lessons that they need to learn. They have lessons that may, they need to learn from people like M- Melissa Hurry, hello, ethics expert. They have lessons that they need to learn about constitution. They have lessons and due process. They have lessons that 
they need to learn about the moral obligation to practice humanity, practice the prongs that it takes to even find somebody guilty of a criminal offense and, and put them to death, which means that the jury needs to know every ounce of the matters before them in order to decide on such huge decision. Imagine what it is like for a juror to learn after the fact that somebody has been put to death only because they didn't know the full matters of the case. Imagine how the jurors feel that were there. Now this man is not put to death, but he's uh, in an undisclosed prison because he was a uh, Oklahoma Oklahoma City police officer who was framed. Um, Daniel Holsclaw. Imagine how those juries feel oh, now. Daniel Holsclaw's case. How about um... yeah. How about that shed a little bit more light on what goes on in that DA's office? We have yeah. we know some things that so well some let's say some allegations, but we have someone who actually worked under Joyce Gilchrist in that office in the crime lab mm-hmm. who testified mm-hmm. in a deposition that they were destroying not only rape kits, but evidence in homicide cases out of that office. They were destroying evidence. She testified under oath in a deposition that they were bringing evidence down to the Oklahoma City River and they were burning it, and I quote, burying it in a big old hole. Does anybody want to investigate what was going on there? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that happened in Tulsa, too. That happened in the Tulsa court as well. The, The most corrupt big city. And you... I know you know the whole Taylor case better than I do, and you might know the answer to this. Now, Elaine Taylor was the one who was working uh-huh. on that case, right? So was yep. she not the mother-in-law of the lead detective in that case? Or am I wrong in that? You know what? I can't say that for sure or not. That I cannot say for sure. I, okay. that, that, honestly, I do know a lot about the case. That, I think I heard in passing once, but I didn't. I don't know. But I'm gonna. I'm writing that down I know, right I now because I know the people to ask. Um, I don't want to say for sure either. But I, I've come across that, and I'm not sh- sure whether or not it's it is true. But if that is true, how is that not an ethical violation? Because as far as I, I it, know, nepotism. Exactly. Nepotism. Yeah, and and then you know, and and and, and so. I mean, in my opinion, somebody can be, you know, the the lead detective and investigator and whatnot and, and not be malfeasant. But guess what? You cannot be put in those positions with appearances of malfeasance uh, 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 or, or appearances of a conflict of interest. Forgive me. Um, mm-hmm. And the same thing goes for, for judges. And yet they don't remove themselves from cases. And and yet, the the Supreme Court is allowing them to the judges to make those decisions whether they remove themselves. Excuse me, hello, are you in conflict with this case by any chance? Um, no, no, I'm not. 
Oh, okay. Just wondering because the defense wants to know. That's typically the open and close, how it goes. I remember when um, I had a police department that was investigating a, a judge for something. So what does the police department do? L- literally, no joke. I can prove it. They call the they call. This is a pro- forgive me. It's the prosecutor's office. They call the judge and ask if something really happened. Well, they get back to me. Oh, and and, and this was the police department too. So this is what makes it so egregious. Oh, but the judge says no. No kidding. This is in Tulsa District Court. This is how Oklahoma rolls, where it does roll this way, okay? This is how Oklahoma rolls, where it does. Not every judge, not every prosecutor, not every investigator, not every... No, absolutely not. We've got reps that want to change where it's going wrong, all right? We've got a good pardon and parole board happening right now. Um, we have reps that really do care about, you know, um, the citizen rates and how to help rehab. We've got reps that prepare for us and prepare for the entrance of society. My word. And imagine this. Has anybody seen the movie? What's the movie? Um, Shawshank Redemption. When the old man, oh, yeah. God love him, you know, he, he, he finally he, he, he goes out and that's all he's ever known all his life. Prison, he goes out and he hangs himself, you know. Um, you know, I don't know if people, most people have seen that movie, I think, or maybe I'm dating myself in my age, but it's because he didn't know how to integrate. Yeah, he didn't know how to integrate into society. So those that, you know, he really wasn't ready to go. He wasn't pushing to go. He was happy. He was happy with him himself and I think his little bird or he had a little something that, you know, he, he, did, he was not ready to go. Um, so we need to help those that are ready and, and prepared. Um, but I'm getting off subject cause we kind of already discussed this, but, um, let's, let's, let's move on. Let's, let's move on to, um, what do you, what do you want to move on to now? The, you know, as we're coming to the last part of the show tonight, and it was, we, we will continue this of course. And, you know, we're, we're, we're not, we're not going to stop and, and I, you know, I about to stay up, you know, overnight in the, whatever it takes with, with Melissa as well. Didn't do it this weekend. We had some things going on, especially me to interrupt that. But, but you know, there's many of us, and, and Melissa is spearheading this, people. Melissa is really, if you ask me, she is spearheading uh, this movement for Julius Jones. She is the go-to person that um, is, is, uh, knows every little detail you can possibly imagine for Julius Jones. He has, he has a whole coalition. So there's a ton of people that are, you know, working hard on his behalf and everybody playing a role. You're you're an incredible voice. Maybe I should have put that a a different way. You're, you're just, you're, you're a voice that um, is, you know, very, very, you know, well versed. You're educated in, in, in this, and and be, beyond the advocacy end of it, and able to, you know. So I'm just I, I'm saying you're you're an incredible voice uh, that is a huge part of spearheading this. So maybe I should have reversed revised what what um I, I I said. Thank you. Julius Jones is is an extraordinary person. I've had the opportunity to speak to him several times, and. I, it, he's just 
he's a compassionate person. He cares about other people, I think, more than he cares about what's going on with him sometimes. And he's very intelligent. Um, he's, he's very, he, he knows so much about so many things. And you don't just become that way from, from being on death row for 22 years. It's, it's a certain kind of person. And I always tell him, you know, you, you're not, you didn't get the you, you didn't become the person you are from from sitting on death row for 22 years you were that person when you when you got there and, and by the grace of god you were able to you know hold your your composure and your resilience and just i can't even imagine being in the position he's been in for 22 years and still being able to hold a conversation about how we can help other people when he when he gets his freedom how we're going to be able to help other people He's worried about helping other people when he's in the fight of, for his life, you know? So right. it's just right. it's personal. And I've always been someone who's been against the death penalty because I think the system is too flawed to have such a barbaric and, and final um, option. And I don't think that there's any place for it in the criminal justice system because of the flaws in the system. But somebody like Julius Jones is the epitome of why we need to eliminate the death penalty in my opinion. Yes. Yes. And, I, and, and I've been here for a long time. I mean, I've been, I've seen what the criminal justice system does, you know, for 23 years. It's not always wrong, but it's wrong enough to where we shouldn't be giving anybody the authority to kill people. Amen. A- amen. And, you yeah. know, we 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 talk so much about the people who have been wrongfully convicted, but when somebody's wrongfully convicted, that's an injustice to the victim and their families as well. Because the person who actually committed the crime is either left on the street to commit more crime, and this has happened, or, you know, they, the justice just is not served when the person who actually committed the crime is not paying the price and somebody who didn't is. That's, an, that's a complete injustice in every aspect of the case, of the system. So we're not forgetting about the victims and the families and what they've gone through, but it doesn't make it okay to convict somebody who didn't commit the crime and to put those people in in the worst case scenario to death who didn't commit the crime. You have to look at this with an open mind. You have to realize what the system does. You have to look at statistics and see how many times it's happened before. You have 185 cases in, the, in this new era, they call it, from 73 to now, and this information is on the Death Penalty Information Center again, and there's 185 cases of people who have been exonerated from death row. Those are 185 people who could have been, who could have been executed when they were innocent. That is not room for error. That, is taking that would have been taking 185 innocent lives. How many people weren't able to prove their innocence and were executed, we don't know. That's crazy. It's crazy. It's just it's it's, it's that, just too much. That is all I ask is that you know the victims' families don't fall into you know the opinion of the AG and the DA that oh this never happens, you know he's definitely guilty because if you look into into these offices and what they've done in the past, there's many questions and and Prater is one of those questions because. He, there have been some heavy allegations against his, his conduct and his unethical behavior. And I say unethical because allegations that have been made certainly indicate 
a, a violation of ethics because there there are other cases. I mean, I don't know if everybody knows about the, the case where he had his investigator, um, William Muller, I believe his name was, in, investigating if there was any um, conduct between Chris Steele, who was a, a rep in the ACLU. I think most people know who the ACLU is. And um, there was a whole big scandal. Um, you know, nothing happened to Prater because of the scandal, but how many allegations must be made before you have to look at somebody's behavior as being scandalous and unethical? Right. I right. mean, he was, it was alleged that he was using... And these, and these um, are the patterns. These are the patterns. That's the thing. These are the patterns exactly. that you're, you're talking about. These are the patterns that we talk about all day long on shows like this. It's like we can tell, when, when we hear from somebody, we can practically say, let me guess. This happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. Especially when they cite somebody like Prater or they cite somebody like, um, you, you know, the Gilcrest and, and, and the duo uh, and, and, and the Macy duo. You know, mm-hmm. you can, you, it's just different people that they have done it to. It's, 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 it's absolutely crazy. These are the patterns. And why can't we, you know, call for investigations of these people and put a stay on and put a stay and get a stay on these cases until they are thoroughly investigated? You know, I, and nothing for nothing. I know that uh, Mike Hunter did the right thing by saying that Julius Jones does have, you know, other remedies. And I want to thank him for that. Maybe maybe that's one thing in, in his pa- parting word, you know, in good conscience, knowing that he had to resign. But I feel that Mike Hunter should be investigated, too, for the many blocks of justice, blockages of justice, um, and for things that he had not followed up on. Um, and that, now would be the time, you know. Um, Absolutely. For, if for we had a board... If if there was a, a if the pardon and parole board of Oklahoma was more apt to just say no to everybody, you know, would we even be here? But I think right. they know that they have a board that is willing to look at cases on an individual basis. Thank they God. They don't say no to everybody. Thank God. Right. I, you know, does that sway the you know what the AG decided to do and ask for these execution dates quick and in a hurry? Because yeah. I, I mean. Total turnaround. Is it because of that? If you go back six months ago, it's a huge turnaround. Total turnaround. Isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you have, you know, there's um, uh, Richard Smotherman who's taken uh, Judge McCall's place on the board. And from what I can right, tell, you know, from watching. Right, and I'm saying total turnaround because of McCall. He was a disruptor. Yeah. In, in fairness, yeah. and I'm not saying that other people that weren't in the pardon parole board weren't good. They're great. We we know we know that this has been a phenomenal transition, and quite frankly, we can we can thank the governor uh, for some great appointments. Yeah, for, you know, for his appointments, absolutely. Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, this isn't an issue of the, the you know the the pardon and parole board. I am hoping are going to. Go forward with the with the stage two hearing for Julius on the 13th as is scheduled, and you know it, it's nothing that has happened has you know as a result of anything that they did or that the governor did. This is the AG who's requesting these execution dates, and in my opinion, I, I I feel like you know Prater probably has something to do with that, even though you know his name is not on it, but. It, 
Sure. His name is behind it. (laughs) I see him now. Because guess what? Prater gets found out. Prater gets found out. This is is all really a matter of who really done it. Who really done the death? Who really did did the murders? Right? Who really who really murdered these people? And and and, and who really is involved in in the cover-ups and the malfeasance? I, I want you to just hang in there with me. Just uh, just stay stay with me. I'm going to take a little bit of a break um, from this discussion for uh, several minutes because I do want to. Um, bring to the attention of Oklahomans that are listening to this, that there is a rally um, that is coming up and that uh, Ignite Justice is, is putting on this rally. And Emily Barnes, and I believe it's, oh, goodness, I wish I could remember the name of, I think it's Jennifer. Uh, next time next time I will, um, uh, I'll, I'll get her name straight, but but Emily Barnes has, uh, you know, she's got a group with this other woman uh, called Ignite Justice for some time now, and it, and uh, she's really doing a great job. I love how she's doing things um, and really bringing the group around. Uh, but there is a rally September 25th, 1 through 4 p.m. at the Oklahoma State Capitol. All right, which is great because they've finish their renovating now so that they can do this. So uh, September 25th, 2021, 1 to 4. It's it's a justice denied second chance rally. Let me get into some of the subjects uh, um you know that there uh some of those that uh are she's referring to regarding second chances and some of the speakers. Um killing Richard Glossop We've talked about Richard already, right, tonight. Uh, Richard Glossop, uh, an innocent man on death row, murder in the first degree, sentenced to death. Now, Richard Glossop's attorney has been very, very active, uh, as, as uh, we were talking about earlier, Melissa, and um, you just want to you want to bring up the action that his attorney brought up, uh, and then I'll continue on with this information on the rally. Yeah, well, the whole... Um Eighth Amendment issue that we were talking about originated. Um, Richard Glossa was the the main plaintiff in that case, and it's like you know the the case is Richard Glossa at all, but that means that it all means everybody else who was on death row is is involved okay. in that case. But so, so that so was. His, so his, go ahead. So that that's the origination of the Eighth Amendment issue of Oklahoma stating that they were going to resume executions, but they're not changing. The, the, they're still using the same drugs in, in this protocol that they had to stop executions for in the first place in 2015. So that's the whole okay. question. If they're still using a drug that was used in botched executions, is that method, uh, is lethal injection still cruel and unusual? And that's one of and that's the that's the method of ex, of um, execution. You've got a great set of attorneys so. there that are really rock and roll. And we had a, a spokesperson for Richard Glossop at a rally a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, you know, unfortunately, she, unfortunately, she's falling off the off the radar. But um, but 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 he, the people have been along by his side have been there all along. 
and, and his attorneys are doing a great job. you got Timothy Bowie, another wrongful conviction murderer, second-degree, 30-year sentence. We've got Delbert Johnson, sentenced to life, first-degree murder, wrongfully convicted. We have got Maxie Barber, sentenced to four life sentences, been in, he's been in for 13 years, another wrongful conviction. Um, let me see. There's... Uh, Forgive me. I'm just. There's a whole bunch of posters um, that are that are up by them. Maurice Poole, sentenced at 18 years old, felony murder. He has a life sentence. This this is uh, in reference to now um, second chances. Okay, second chances, second chances for people that, uh, for for youth. Okay, that have the opportunity to have had good time, that um, that they were children essentially when they uh, committed a, a crime and uh, not knowing all the details. You may feel that somebody deserves a second chance, <laughs> forgive me, or, or, or you may not, okay? Um, but we've also got Cody Barnes, juvenile offender, sentenced at 17 years old, robbery with a firearm, there were no injuries, no injuries, robbery with a firearm, a 17-year-old young man, no injuries, 25-year prison sentence. We have got excessive sentencing in Oklahoma, if you ask me. There are some that certainly, uh, again, second chances, okay? James Shelton, 30-year-old sentence, robbery with, no, with, with a firearm, uh, no injuries. Some of this, you know, y'all might not think that they that, that they don't deserve the second chances, but you have to really understand their cases and understand their 30 years, their 17 years, all this time uh, behind pr- the prison walls, what they've been doing or what they haven't been doing, okay? But this group is advocating for those. They're, they're very well vetted. Um, they're advocating for those that, you know, they feel, you know, truly deserve it. Nigel Martin, a juvenile offender, sentenced at 16 years old, life sentence. Honestly, I don't know what he's in for a life sentence for. I, kn- I do know that you cannot convict somebody, uh, a juvenile, I believe, um, uh, to, to death. You can't sentence them to death um, as a juvenile. Keith Brown, oh, my heart goes out to this young man. He is incredible. He, what a spokesperson, poster man, poster man for uh, second chances. I, I I know a good deal about his uh, his his cases. Um, about his case, um, let me see. I'm, I'm gosh darn it. I just accidentally came off of it. Juvenile offender sentenced to life at the age of 17. Okay, some of the speakers that will be there. Okay, we've got Mandy Wilkinson. Mandy Wilkinson, Ignite Justice board member, research specialist, prison reform advocate. She will be speaking. She's a guest speaker. We've got Sharla Howlenkack, expunged and pardoned mother of son, incarcerated prison reform advocate. We have Michelle Murphy uh, speaking at uh, this rally. She is the first female in Oklahoma history to be proven innocent and exonerated, sentenced to 17 years old, murder, life without parole, released 20 years later. 
So, again, this is um, September 25th, 1 to 4, Oklahoma State Capitol. Why don't you head on over and visit the Ignite Justice um, Facebook page uh, and and decide whether or not you can show up or at least lend some kind of support. Follow the group. I encourage that strongly. Oh, my goodness. So, um, the history of Oklahoma also. This is something else, September 25th, that they're going to discuss. History of Oklahoma. Why is this Supreme Court regarding McGirt versus Oklahoma so important? What does this mean for your loved ones? We've got Attorney Brenda S. Golden, human rights, indigenous, indigenous rights activist. She will be speaking. Julie Nimmo, former DOC, behavioral nurse social activist. She will be speaking. This is going to be one heck of of a rally. Melissa, um, I'm going to give you a couple minutes to sum up now, and I'm hoping that you can come back on uh, on on uh, Sunday. Uh, we can get you know spend an hour or more and, and talk about this and keep talking about this. Um, uh, but talk to our listeners for the next two minutes before I close up and introduce our next upcoming show, please. Okay. Well, I just, uh, you know, I want um, everybody to remember that this hearing for Julius Jones, well, the board is meeting on Tuesday to discuss the um, the upcoming September 13th hearing. Um, I just hope that people, and I know they will, Julius has a a ton of supporters that are just going to keep, you know, reiterating the fact that he should have this hearing. Um, I just, I want to say, because I didn't mention it before, that um, I I was reading a a release from uh, Black Caucus members of the Oklahoma Legislature and uh, Representative Jason Lowe, and um, he had issued a statement regarding this, and he said in his statement, and I quote, I am appalled that the Attorney General would request a date for Mr. Jones's execution before providing Mr. Jones and his legal team with the opportunity to present his case at the September 13th commutation hearing. And he goes on to say, it is actions like these that reinforce the public's doubt and distrust in our criminal justice system. That's a mouthful. That is absolutely correct. Um, we need integrity. We need accountability. We and when we talk about conviction integrity units, which we do all the time, and we talk about Representative Kevin McDougall from Oklahoma and his proposed bill on how there should be a conviction review unit that reviews all death penalty cases, that's so necessary. And I can't stress enough how important that would be. If states are still going to continue to practice the death penalty, which I hope is abolished on a national level eventually, um, then I feel it is essential for these cases to be reviewed so that innocent people are not put to death. And conviction review unit would be essential. One that operates according to a successful model would be essential. So this is the type of legislation that even though it didn't make it through this past session where it was introduced, I, I just I, I feel that it's essential for people of Oklahoma to support to let their representatives know that they support this type of legislation, and that they don't make want the call. To, 
Um, I got to cut you short a little bit. Got to make, got to make the calls to your representatives. You got to send in those emails. Um, you're on the show later on this week, and we talked about this a little bit, so you know we'll follow up on that. But you, are, but you are on the show. Can you quickly, very quickly, ten seconds, please, because I still need to close out. What show is that going to well, be, and when? I'm going to have to give you or, the details because I haven't worked out all the all the details yet. But it's going to be on Thursday night, so I'm going to okay. if we can post it online, I'll have to give you the exact details where people okay. could listen in if they want to listen in. I want to thank you for coming for coming on. We're going to keep this we're going to keep this live. Going to keep this going, uh, Melissa. Hurry, thank you so much. You are a blessing. You are a blessing. And uh, thank you for coming forward for, with all this uh, on behalf of uh, everybody is victim to this kind of issues and um, and to free Julius Jones from the thought of any kind of a death penalty in front of him. Um, I want to in, invite our um, our guests to please tune in on Tuesday evening at 8.30 Central Time so you figure out what that means for your time. Uh, Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, with Marty Oakley, who's bringing the panel on to my show about uh, guardianship abuse, okay? So uh, we're going to discuss that with problems with guardianships. And um, I'm Tanya Hathaway, and uh, I'm your host of Tanya Talks, where your voice is heard and your story told is told on Marty Oakley's TS Radio Network and Stephen Brooks 89.9 KLRB FM out of Lighthouse Christian Radio. Please in, tune in once again on Tuesday and then the following Sunday. And then the following Tuesday, we're going to have Stephen Burke and James Treat back on again. i got to go. I'm running over time. Good night, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in, and God bless. Thank you.